Pastor, Brother Bradford, for this opportunity. Um, again, it is truly, truly an honor to be here. Um, so I'd like to direct your attention to Genesis chapter number 39. Genesis chapter number 39. When you have it, say amen. Beginning at verse number 19. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. I'd like to take that last verse, verse number 20, as our text today. And I'll be preaching on this subject. Where? is Joseph. Also, I'll be giving you all a subtitle today, that being, the prison is part of the process. The prison is part of the process. If we could all just raise our hands to heaven right now. That's it. Talk to him a little bit. He wants to hear your voice tonight. He wants to hear your voice. Hallelujah. The story of Joseph in the Old Testament plays a very crucial role. Oh yeah, you may be seated. Forgot about that one. As I was saying, the story of Joseph in the Old Testament plays a very crucial role in the creation of the nation of Israel. Joseph is one of the more iconic individuals in the Bible. His story, perhaps, is one of the most recognizable events in the Old Testament. I believe second only to David's escapades in the book of 1 Samuel. In, but in reading verse number 20, we need to look a little further back. And I apologize to those of you who know the story of Joseph for this may be a little exhausting. But I would like to take a short recap for those of you who may not know the situation and the story that has led Joseph to this exact place in his life. Joseph was the son of Jacob. And being the son of his old age, he was favored above the rest of his brethren. He was given a coat of many colors, which was a symbol of his father's favor. Being dad's favorite didn't really sit well with the rest of his brethren, and slowly but surely they began to become jealous. And eventually, Joseph shares some God-given dreams to his brethren, and they begin to hatch. They become fed up with Joseph. Their jealousy grows uncontrollably, and they begin to hatch a conspiracy against their little brother. They have decided that they are going to kill Joseph. They take Joseph's coat away, and they throw him into a pit. And as it so happens, as they've completed this task, some Ishmaelites pass by the way. And Judah, one of Joseph's brothers, has the bright idea of selling Joseph to these Ishmaelites as a slave. So they do. They end up selling Joseph for 20 pieces of silver. After this has occurred, his brothers come together collectively to deceive Jacob, their father. They convince Jacob that his son is no more. Joseph is sold to the Egyptian by the name of Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh. 
After a period of time, Joseph is promoted to overseer of Potiphar's household. Joseph has caught the attention of Potiphar's wife, and she begins to tempt Joseph. He denies her and flees, leaving his garment behind. Potiphar's wife then accuses Joseph of the wrongdoing, essentially flipping the script. This enrages Potiphar, and he throws Joseph into the prison. And this is where I'd like to take that text. He's in the prison. He's been put there by his master. There are some of you that have found yourself along your spiritual walk in the prison. What does that mean? You found yourself isolated and seemingly abandoned. It seems as though God has severed connection with you. You're being spiritually attacked by all sides and things you've never imagined you'd face. You find yourself in this spot and begin to wonder, why me, God? Why does it have to be me? Why can't you rid me of this? God, where are you? It's cold and it's dark in here. God, can I just go back to the familiar things? Why, why do I have to be here? Why, why, why can't I be in Potiphar's house? Why can't I be back in Potiphar's house? Oh, Lord, have mercy. You don't understand the repeated temptation. You're tried, tested, and tempted, and tried, tested, and tempted. And this cycle, it seems purposeless. You don't understand. Why, why, why am I going through this? And it seems like God has shut the doors to heaven, and your cries are coming unheard. The prison ultimately has two facets. One of two things can happen in the prison. You can be transformed or you can be destroyed. God wants to see if you'll remain faithful in this test. This is not purposeless. God has placed you here for a reason. This prison is only the... the the passing place. It's only temporary. God is trying to move you from Potiphar's house to Pharaoh's house, but in order to do that, you've got to go through some things. You've got to struggle through some things. Some of you are on the edge. You're on the edge of greatness. You're on the edge of promotion, but you can't see it. You're on the edge of becoming that evangelist that God told you you were going to be. You were, you were on the edge of taking that church that God told you that you were going to take. You were on the edge of becoming that soul winner. But you just got to go through some things. You got to go through this prison. It's only temporary. So the prison can become dangerous. The test can cause you to lose faith and become bitter. You begin to accept your situation. This is who I am. This is who I am. I'm a prisoner. That's all. I'm nobody. This is where I am. I've, I've, I've walked this whole way just to stay right here. This is all. This is all. This is, this is all I am. This is what people will know me as. The time of my calling is long past. That, that is behind me. This has become the usual for you. You see others around you are being blessed, and you begin to compare yourself to, to each other. Hear me, saint of God. 
it becomes paramount that you focus only on yourself and on God. Don't be looking around at other people. When you begin to look around at other people, that's when the seed of Benedict can be planted in your heart and you can begin... You can begin to hate your fellow saints. It will lend you nothing in despair and bitterness. You forget the promises God has given you. You forget the words of prophecy spoken over you by men of God. You forget the numerous altar services where you've been divinely touched. And you begin to grow cold. Some of you have been, become so caught up with being inside the prison, so caught up in, in, in your surroundings, and so caught up in your situation that you can't realize that the door to the prison is already open. You just got to look around. When in the prison comes, time, comes the time for self-reflection. God, work on me. God, show me things in my life that I need help with. Lord, have your way in my life. It is here where God begins to mold and to shape you. There comes a time when you still need to praise God in the midst of your surroundings. Paul and Silas were beaten, humiliated, and thrown in prison. But the supernatural began to occur when they began to praise God. I wonder if somebody just made up their mind right now, I don't care where I am, I just need to praise God. I just need to jump, I just need to shout, I just need to wave my hands. So you just need to praise God a little bit and you'll see this thing split wide open. You'll see your prison come crumbling down. The instant you begin to praise. While in the prison, Joseph interacts with two other prisoners that we know about, the butler and the baker. And no doubt, the dreams of Joseph he initially had were very treasured and cherished by him. But he had to see the dreams of others first. He had to realize and, and sort things out that he had to realize that you know, my dreams, my vision's not coming to fruition right now, so I think I need to put that on the back burner for a little bit and help, help out other people. Young people, you need to make your pastor's vision a priority. You need to come talk to pastor and say, hey, I don't know where this fits in, but help me see the vision. I want to see the vision. I don't know. I don't know how I can be used, but plug me in somewhere. I need to fit somewhere because I can't, I, I can't sit by and just let this happen. I can't just sit on a pew. I've got to do something. In closing, I'd like to read Genesis 37.3, if you could put that up there. And it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. I've already kind of hinted at this at the beginning of my message, but 
that, that coat was symbolic of his father's favor. And some of you have been, have been chosen, and, you've, and you have God's favor. You just need to realize you need to stop getting caught up in your situation. You need to stop focusing on where you are. You just got to remember that my daddy favors me, and that's all that matters. He's chosen me. Sometimes the key to all this is just remembering that at the end of the day, you are chosen and that you are favored. Come on, let us stand to our feet, lift our hands, and thank God for his favor, his goodness to us. Hallelujah. I could be a lot of places, but because of your blessing and your favor and your goodness upon my life, I'm standing before you today with uplifted hands and lifting my voice and magnifying you for who you are. Hallelujah. Come on, is there an apostolic in the house here today that recognizes God's going to carry you through no matter where you may be? There's a promise and there's a fruition to the promise and God's going to make it happen. Amen. In order to get from Potiphar's house to Pharaoh's house, you got to go through some things. Amen. Praise God. But God's hand is with you always. Amen. Don't, don't, don't be so careful to focus on your own hurts. Help somebody out. Get involved in the kingdom of God. Do the work of God. Praise God. And watch what happens when you start helping other people. Amen. Things change dramatically. Hallelujah. We heard from the Lord this morning in the first half. God spoke to each and every one of us today. You may feel like you're in prison, but keep trusting God because God knows where you are and he's called you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You can be seated. These are great, great young men. And we have had green lights before. Brother Jamal, Brother Emmanuel. I can't remember. Brother Garrett. And I can't remember who some of the other speakers were. Brother Landon. Amen. We're thankful for uh, young men that have a passion for the work of God and uh, what God is doing. Amen. This next speaker, our second speaker here today, is Brother Peyton Bradford, and he is coming to deliver the word of the Lord, the second half of the message here today. Amen. Put your hands together and welcome him as he comes to this pulpit. God bless you. sitting over there really enjoying Brother Kinson's message, and then it hit me that I'm next, and now I'm really nervous, but hopefully you guys will help me, and we can get through it. I want to direct your attention to 1 Kings, if you'd stand, 1 Kings chapter number 17 and verse number 8. When you have it, say amen. Thank you. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So there he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, 
Fetch me, I pray thee, a little vessel, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but an handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. You may be seated. Elijah was a prophet to Israel under the reign of King Ahab, and he was living in a time of idolatry and evil. The, the people of Israel were sleeping with the enemy and had fallen under idolatry, worshiping the prophets of Baal. And God punished the people of Israel, and he placed a drought upon them for three and a half years. And they did not receive rain, they did not receive a drop of water for three and a half years. Because instead of worshiping the only living God, the Israelites resorted to idolatry and began worshiping the prophets or the idols of Baal. Baal was said, said to control the rain. He was said to control the storm and would provide the land with livestock and flowing water. Elijah walked with God, and in turn, the blessings of God were upon him. For in our text scripture, Elijah is commanded to go to the city of Zarephath. And upon arriving, he meets a widow woman. She's gathering materials to make the last of her food before she prepares to die in the drought. She's sitting there gathering materials so she can make her and her son one last meal before she can starve to death or die and die. But Elijah is bold enough to ask for a meal and tell her that everything will be okay because he has faith. Now this, this seems completely contradictory Typically, when we ask people for things, they say they don't have it. We don't tell them that, oh, God will provide. Uh, but sometimes God's blessings do not come to us because we're simply not bold enough. What if we were bold enough to ask for those things? We do not have the faith to believe that God can provide and God will supply. But the scripture says, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Our blessing is not predicated by what we think. Our, our blessing is not predicated by even what we say, but it's by what we do. We must first put something into action before we ever see results. So Elijah walked by faith, knowing that God would provide for him at every turn. And this faith was completely opposite to the people of Israel, worshiping the idols of Baal, 
and resorted to idolatry and relied on ritualistic sacrifices to the God of Baal. And Elijah comes around one chapter later after receiving shelter from this widow woman in chapter 18 of 1 Kings. And he tells them to prepare a sacrifice. He tells them that they need to gather two bulls and prepare a sacrifice and build an altar. And they take the bull and they sacrifice or they they prepare it and place it on the altar of sacrifice. And they cry out to Baal, but they hear nothing from him. They hear nothing from their God who claims that they can save them from the drought, that he can save them from this valley of, of dry bones. And Elijah begins to mock them. He tells them, well, maybe, maybe your God is talking to someone else. Maybe he cannot hear you. Peradventure, maybe he fell asleep. And they began crying the louder. They begin cutting themselves until blood gushes out of their arms as it was practiced in that day. But their time had passed, and it was time for the evening sacrifice. This was the time that was prepared for Elijah to give his sacrifice. And Elijah prepared his sacrifice, and he collected 12 stones for the tribes of Israel, and he built an altar. And he placed the bullock on a piece of wood on top of the 12 stones. And he soaked the altar with four barrels of water, and they soaked the bear, or they soaked the sacrifice. And he tells them, do it three more times. And they soaked the sacrifice with 12 barrels of water. Now in a time of a drought, it seems very comp- opposite that we would douse a sacrifice with the very commodity that we were trying to save. And so now the sacrifice is soaked in water, and he tells the servants, do it again and do it again until there is 12 barrels of water on the sacrifice. And we read in 1 Kings chapter 18, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art the God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. And he continues on in this prayer. He's, he's praying to God over this sacrifice. He says, Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stone and the dust and licked up all the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. And skipping to verse 41, this is where I want to really focus. Elijah said unto Ahab, get up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. Elijah never saw a cloud. He never saw something in the air that would ever signify that there was going to be an abundance of rain. But Elijah had faith. He had faith to know that that God has provided for me each and every time that I have needed it. And I know that God will provide time and time again. Elijah heard a sound. He heard something from God which told him that something was changing. Something was moving. And in a place which had not received a drop of water for over three and a half years, Elijah hears a sound. Not just any sound, but the sound of rain. How can a man 
in the midst of a drought among a people who have fallen to the enemy. How can he maintain his faith? How can he have faith among the drought? How can he have faith like Joseph in the prison say that I know that God will provide even in the prison cell when it's dark and it's cold and it's clammy? But God is there to provide. He is there when we feel like we are empty. For Elijah must have known that praying to a God of Baal, there is nothing. But praying to my God, there is something more great and more powerful than we will ever be able to understand or express. We feel like we are unable to reach God because of our situation. But I tell you, all it takes is just to have faith. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But why do we need faith? What's the purpose of faith? Because without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Without faith there's no widow woman who offers her last meal to a prophet whom she does not know. Without faith there is an Elijah generation who stands for what's right and obeys the voice of God. Without faith, there's no mighty man of valor who rises up from being the least in his father's household and reigns victorious among the Midianites. Without faith, there's no shepherd boy who slays the bear, the lion, and the giant. Without faith, there's no Rahab who, despite being a harlot, is being used of God. Without faith, there's no five loaves and two fishes to feed the 5,000. Without faith, there's no parting of the Red Sea. Without faith, there's no healing of the blinded eyes. Without faith, there's no creation of the ark. Without faith, there's no boy with a mini coat of colors who's cast into prison for his convictions. We're unable to hear the sound of the abundance of rain if we do not have faith. When we hear sounds, there's a vibration in our ears which hears a, allows us to hear noises. And sound waves travel to our eardrums which then transmit waves into vibrations. And those vibrations are amplified and ripple through the inner ear and is then sent to the brain for processing. Now why is this important? Why is it important that we hear sound and noises? Because now that we have faith, now we must be able to hear. So there must be a sound in order for us to receive the abundance of rain. But there must be a proclamation that says that I hear the sound of abundance of rain. If Elijah never proclaimed that into words, if he never would have believed that, the rain would have never come. Because faith allows us to hear the sound. The sound is the trigger for the abundance of rain. We must hear the sound before we ever hear the rain. We can either hear the sound or we can be the sound. For we were not created to be a silent people, but we were created to make sounds and noise. Psalms chapter 47, verse number 1. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Now Paul and Silas, who had been beaten and thrown in jail, offered praises to God. They let out a sound, and in Acts chapter 16, verse number 25, it says, At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was an earthquake. That's the sound. So the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. Joshua chapter 6, the, the children of Israel were walking around the walls of Jericho. 
for six times, six days of long, treacherous walks. But on the seventh day, they raised a sound. And what happened? The walls of Jericho came crashing down for the people shouted. After being asked to rebuke his disciples, Jesus responded to the Pharisees and said, I tell you, if these should hold their peace, surely the stones would immediately cry out. And we are not to be outperformed in our praise and our worship by inanimate objects. Now why? Because the opposite of sound is silence, or the absence of sound. This is not in God's will that we are intended to be silent. God's word is not also intended to be silent. For in Psalms chapter Psalms 150, it says, Let everything that has breath praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. So that is making a sound. But what about hearing the sound? In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. The Holy Ghost, that is the rain. When we have faith to believe that there's a sound, the sound produces rain, which is the Holy Ghost. And 1 Kings chapter 18, verse number 43, he tells his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, go up, say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot and get thee down that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with cloud and wind. And there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Elijah continued steadfast in his faith, even on the fourth or fifth time of a negative report. He kept praying and praying until finally on the seventh time, his servant brought forth a good report. Because the rain does not just come first by believing. We cannot just believe for rain. We've got to pray and know that God will provide. We must first hear the sound and proclaim that the rain is coming. We must not stop there, though. We must continue in prayer to receive the rain. We must not give up because Daniel never gave up in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego never gave up when being pressured before King Nebuchadnezzar. Paul and Silas never gave up in a prison cell. We must not give up when we feel like we are at the end of the rope, but we must keep praying for the seventh time. We must keep walking around the walls of Jericho for the seventh straight day. We must continue in prayer until there is a cloud in the sky just the size of a man's fist. We cannot allow our inadequacies, our insecurities, or our circumstances dictate our purpose. We must not become so wrapped up in our own trials that we forget where God brought us from. Maybe we lack the faith that God can use our talents. Maybe we lack the faith because we feel inadequate, we don't measure up. But God did not intend for us to lose faith or lose hope. God intended us, no matter the circumstance, to keep the faith and continue listening for the sound of rain. Because when the rain does come, there is joy and restoration and peace and blessing. In Jesus' name, God.
in conclusion, I want to end with a couple of scenarios. Thomas Edison was labeled as too dumb to ever learn anything. He failed 999 times before he ever found the right filament for the incandescent light bulb. But on the hundredth or the thousandth try, he was able to be successful in creating this light bulb that transformed the world. Walt Disney was said to have a lack of innovation and creativity. He said that he never had any good ideas. And I want to tell you about an individual who is a painter. She's a Cuban-American abstract minimalist painter, and her name is Carmen Herrera. And she began to paint at the age of 12, and she moved to Paris when she became of age after World War II to join many other great painters, for example, Pablo Picasso and Yves Klein. She was very good, and by almost anyone's observations, she even had shows with other famous artists. But unlike any of the other artists around, she was a woman, and she was Cuban-American. Unlike all of these artists, she never sold a painting. She never sold anything at age 25. She never sold anything at age 30. She came home from Paris in the early 1950s, and in her late 30s, or in her late 30s. But again, she kept painting. She never sold any paintings, not even at the age of 40 or 50. In fact, she never even sold any paintings at the age of 60 or 70 or even 80. But she kept painting. This woman who was supposed to be so successful at painting, who was supposed to be compared to the likes of Pablo Picasso, but she never sold a painting. But she kept painting and painting. She was committed to her art, committed to her style, but she was tremendously frustrated. But she always believed that her work deserved more attention than it had. She refused to quit, and so did her husband. She refused to be dictated by a male-dominant culture that said that she could not be a successful painter because she was a woman. So she continued, and in 2004, the age of 89, she was finally discovered. Almost nine decades, after almost nine decades of life, she became the hottest new artist in the world. Now, she's still alive, now at the age of 105, her paintings have sold for over one million. And although she cannot do her work any longer. She's not able to do it on her own. She still has assistants who are able to bring her the canvases and place them on her desk. And they're able to place tape and texture where she directs them. And at 105, she's still not giving up. And we must always continue that we go the extra mile so that we can experience the abundance of rain. For without rain or the Holy Ghost, our lives are without form and void. And let us be an Elijah generation where we have the faith to believe, but not just so that we believe, but let us have the faith that we can proclaim our faith.
and continue steadfast in the word so that we can receive the abundance of rain. I think it would be appropriate if we all stood and raised our hands to the heaven and made sound unto God. In Jesus' name. Praise God. Come on, lift up your voice and praise him together. I love you, Jesus. I praise you. I thank you. Hallelujah. My faith is before you. I may not see it or hear it. Hallelujah. But in my mind's eye.